Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. This week on the podcast, we bring you another great course from the Commune Library. As you may know, in addition to being a podcast, Commune is also a video course platform featuring a wide range of programs from top teachers on personal growth, yoga, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. Essentially, everything that you need to be holistically well. This week, we will be releasing the first five parts of David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. David Kessler is the world's foremost expert on grief and loss. And when David was young, he witnessed a mass shooting while his mother lay dying in a nearby hospital. These simultaneously occurring events propelled him toward what has become his life's purpose, helping people manage, recover, and even find meaning in their grief. He facilitates talks, workshops, and retreats for those experiencing loss, as well as training physicians, nurses, counselors, police, and first responders about end of life and trauma. Over the next five days, we will be releasing the first five parts of David's series. If you want to watch the full video version of the course, which includes 10 core lessons plus Q&As, yoga practices for grief, and downloadable worksheets, well, I encourage you to go to onecommune.com help and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's O-N-E Commune dot com slash help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full length version of help for the hurting heart. We will always email you before your free trial is up. But if you continue on to become a Commune member, well, thank you. Our members are the key reason we are able to create and share free content like this. And If you regularly listen to this podcast, I also ask that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcatcher. Tap follow show and leave us a review. It really makes a huge difference. And now here's day one where David discusses what grief is and isn't. He also explains that everyone grieves differently so you shouldn't compare your grief to anyone else's. Tune in for parts two through five later this week. Hi, I'm David Kessler. I wanna welcome you here. I first always begin by saying, I am so, so sorry you were here. And at the same time, I'm glad that you have come here. Grief is so brutal. I don't have to tell you that. You're here because a loved one has died, a relationship has ended, a divorce has occurred, a job loss, a pet that's died, a million other things that may have brought you here. And so I just want to acknowledge um, that you have taken the step to come here. 
and do this. The reality is grief is something we don't really understand till we're in it. You have probably found others around you don't get the concept. And so we're going to be talking about that together. One of the things I tell people up front is you are not broken. You may feel broken, but you are not broken. You are in grief. This is what grief feels like. Grief is also a part of love. And if you intensely loved, you will intensely grieve. If you have a thousand tears to cry, you can't stop at 300. And just the courage that it must have taken to show up. And just know you and the world will be so much better that you did. I think about the concept of working in this field. It isn't something that I as a third grader chose. In some ways, it chose me. The reality is uh, most of us were in the midst of our life when loss happened. When I was a child, I was 13 years old. My uh, mother had been ill for a good part of my life and always in and out of hospitals. And then at one point, she was hospitalized in the big city a few hours away. My father and I went to be with her. And unfortunately, you the rules of the hospital were you had to be 14. And I was 13. I didn't even think to lie about that. So most of the nurses would not let me in. A couple did let me come in at a, you know, a few different times. At the same time, my mother was dying and I didn't really understand she was dying at that time. The hotel across the street where we were, people started yelling fire. All of us ran out of the hotel and looked up at the 18th floor and here's this huge fire. The fire trucks pulled up, they extended the ladder and all of a sudden shooting began. We weren't just in a fire, there was an active shooter. It went on for 13 hours and it turned out to be one of the first mass shootings in the US. So in a span of just a couple of days, I had witnessed people die, first responders, even the chief of police, um, hotel guests, and my own mother died and I couldn't be there with her. So it changed the trajectory of my life and put me on this course to find healing for myself and to help others. I was so lucky in life to um, have the knowledge and wherewithal and searching to spend decades helping people learn to live and find peace with all they had been through all the trauma, all the grief, all the loss. I wrote a book in 1995 called The Needs of the Dying that was my first book about end of life care and making sure we're fully there meeting the needs of our loved ones as they died. I was privileged to uh, really be put on the map by two amazing women. So I always acknowledge them for really giving me my career, and that's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and Mother Teresa.
I always joke, if you've got them helping you and you still don't do well, something's up. So I'm really grateful to them. I went on to do two books with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, one called Life Lessons, about all we can learn from the dying. And then I wrote another one called On Grief and Grieving, where we adapted her uh, widely used and loved stages of dying for stages of grief. We told people on page one, they're not linear, they're not a map, all our grief is so unique. There's not one right way or one right model to do grief. I was also so curious about the afterlife. How does the afterlife play into this? So I wrote one book where I did research on uh, talking to nurses, doctors, psychologists, social workers, paramedics, priests, rabbis, ministers, all types of clergy about how the dead come to greet the dying. How when we're dying, we have these deathbed visions. That book is called Visions, Trips, and Crowded Rooms, Who and What You See Before You Die. Because I think knowing there is an afterlife also helps us process our grief and loss. Then with my dear friend Louise Hay, I was able to write a book with her called You Can Heal Your Heart, Healing After a Breakup, Divorce, or a Death. And uh, we looked at all the different types of losses we have in our life, even including pet loss. After all these years of doing grief work and working in this field and all the books, a few years ago, my younger son, David, died unexpectedly at 21 years old. It was as brutal then and brutal now as you can imagine. I share that for a few reasons. I'm not just a specialist who's been studying this in school for years. I'm also someone who got thrown back into the epicenter of grief. And I'll tell you, I wanted to write a note to so many people I had counseled saying, I've forgotten how bad the pain was. So I knew after that loss, I couldn't stop at acceptance. I needed more. His life couldn't have just been that, and I just accept that. And I don't think we're a generation that just wants to accept a loss anymore. We want to find meaning. So that became my most recent book, Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief. And in that, when people hear that concept, I always tell them, there's not meaning in the death or a murder or a shooting or a pandemic. Meaning is in us. It's what we do afterward. So we're going to talk a lot about all those works in this. And it's going to be a very important uh, journey that you're taking. And I'll tell you, it's such an important one because I believe we heal as a tribe. And I know all those things I would tell other people all these years, make sure you learn about grief or go to a grief counseling group. And I still learn this every day with my online groups. It is so important for you to show up for yourself. So I'm so glad you're here and let's begin. Let's begin this video by talking about what is grief? To me, grief is always the death of something. 
It is the death of someone we love. It is also, you know, I think about a breakup as the death of the relationship. I think of a divorce as the death of the marriage. I think of a job loss as the death of that paycheck with those people in that place. So I think one thing that works against us is when we sometimes will think for losses other than death. Mine doesn't count because it's not a death. And your loss counts. We're going to be talking a lot about this. Your loss counts. Your trauma counts. This matters. Whatever it may be, I'm glad you're here and you're going to find some relief. So when we talk about grief, grief is a reflection of a connection that has been lost. We grieve those we love. We grieve those we like. We grieve those we dislike. We even grieve those we hate. We don't grieve people we're indifferent to. So we get connected to people. It can even be someone you've never met. We've all been connected to perhaps a singer who died or a well-known figure because they connected us to parts of our life. So grief is about connections. And your grief is as unique as your fingerprint. No one else is going to have your grief. Literally, even if your parent dies, your siblings are going to grieve differently because your relationship was different with that parent. So all of us have the most unique grief in the world. Now, when we talk about grief, there's big griefs and there's small griefs. We talk about those as micro and macro. It's not to ever imply anything's less than another. We can grieve over people. We can grieve over places. We can grieve over things. If your house burns down, that's a grief. If your loved ones die, of course, that's a grief. A divorce, of course, that's a grief. If you've been robbed, something's been stolen from you that mattered that you were connected to, that's a grief also. Having a wedding canceled, having a trip postponed or canceled, all those are ways that we grieve. So in this video, I'm going to be talking about the death of a loved one. But everything I say, please apply that to other losses. Later on, we're going to go into very specific losses that there'll be videos for. But still know that everything I talk about around the death of a loved one many times can be applied to uh, what you're going through. Because it can be applied to estrangement, to a job loss, whatever it may be. It can always be applied. One of the things that happens is we can compare our losses. The moment we hear there's big and little losses, we want to go into comparison. And the mind likes to compare. But the reality is when we compare, first of all, if you win, you lose. And you've left your heart. And grief is of your heart. You've left your heart and you've moved into your mind. So we talk about what's the worst loss? Is the worst loss 
a spouse of 40 years? Is it a child? Is it this? Is it a terrorist attack? All that. Uh, and some people will go, well, no, it's, it's my loss. The reality is when people ask me, which is the worst loss? My answer is always yours. Your loss is the worst loss. And I think sometimes we forget we want our grief witnessed. We want it to be seen by others and not compared. Some people mistakenly think that grief is like a pie, that if you've got some grief, you're taking away a piece of mine. And that's not a reality. In the pandemic, I was walking with a friend one day safely and all that as we were doing. And um, I met one of my neighbors and she says, oh, you, you work in grief, right? And she started crying about how she had to cancel her wedding and how much that meant to her. And it was going to be postponed for she didn't know when for three months, six months or a year. And she was so sad about it. And I was comforting her. And after she walked away, the person who was with me went, that was just horrible for her to go on and on about her wedding when you've had a child die. And I go, she didn't take part of my grief by having some of her own. I'm very secure in my grief. Your loss doesn't take away from mine. We all get to have different losses. So that's so important to think when we talk about this idea of comparing. You know, to find security in your grief, if someone else has grief, they get to have it and you get to have yours. Another concept to think about is I can't see your grief. Grief is what's on the inside. Mourning is what we do on the outside. I can't look at one person and go, she's crying more than she is. She's got more grief. I can never see your grief. I can only see your acts of mourning on the outside. You'll hear so many times people go, well, you look fine. Okay. Doesn't mean I'm not in deep grief. You can't see it. And so everyone grieves in their own way. It's really important to know that the other people are going to grieve differently than you and you're going to grieve differently than them. And that's okay. I often talk about you come from a long line of dead people. Literally every ancestor you have had has died. There's something built into our soul, our psyche. We know how to do this. You don't have to be trained in this. You were built to handle a number of hits this lifetime. You were actually built to handle loss. But what went wrong? Why do you even need this course or books? Because our society has now taught us to be strong, to be productive. Those feelings are weak. Get over it. Move on. And that has really harmed our healing some of the most natural things that we would do. So grief has now become hidden away many times in our world. And because we have so few models, it's easy for you to think you're doing grief wrong. 
and you can't do it wrong. And when we buy into what society says, we also begin to judge ourselves and we have expectations of ourselves. And so many times I'll say to people, you're judging yourself and they're like, no, I'm not. I just think I should be further along. And I say, well, that is a judgment that you are in the wrong place in your grief. And you're never in the wrong place in your grief. So one of the questions that comes up a lot, how long will I grieve? How long is my sister, my wife, my husband, my partner, how long are they going to grieve? Whenever anyone asks me how long someone's going to grieve, I always say, well, how long is a person going to be dead? Because if they're going to be dead for a long time, you're going to grieve for a long time. But that doesn't mean you will always grieve with pain. My work in this video series and with others in my online groups is to help people in time grieve with more love than pain, but at their own pace and in their own way. Now, in divorce, it's different. You know, when we talk about other types of losses, it may not be about loving that person anymore. It may be how present can you be to release the pain and find the growth. That's what it may be after divorce or a breakup. When I think about the timeline in grief, I always tell people there is no timeline in grief. There are certain markers that I use when working with people. It helps me know where they are in their process. So let me line them up just a little bit for you. The first one is what we call anticipatory grief. Anticipatory grief is a healthy grief we all go through. You've been in anticipatory grief, probably working on that a lot of your life. We grow up knowing ever so slightly in the back of our mind, Someday our parents are going to get old and die. And that's that anticipatory grief working very slowly. Then comes the day someone we love and know will have a diagnosis. And when they get the diagnosis, we may go to a deeper level of anticipatory grief. We know that it could be closer. And this is a healthy process that we do. We'll talk about later on in some of the other videos how it can become unhealthy, cause catastrophizing, cause anxiety. So that will come later. But for now, it's this anticipatory grief comes before the death. Then when the death occurs, we then go into the acute phase. The acute phase is when it's just happened in your world. It is different for everyone. For some people, the acute phase is a week or a month. Others, it's six months, nine months. There's no one right place that fits everyone. But when you're in the acute phase, it feels like it just happened and you were in free fall. And like I said, that can last for months. You were in free fall. When people 
are beginning to come out of the acute phase, they will say things like, I feel like I'm just beginning to catch my breath. I feel like I'm just beginning to get my feet on the ground again. You are not done with the grief. You are far from over the grief, but you've sort of found a floor. You're not in that free fall anymore. But remember that's different for everyone, even members of your own family. Everyone's going to do it differently. Then we go into what I call early grief. Now I want you to think about what early grief is. If I went down to the local busy street or a shopping mall and said to people randomly, what's early grief? People would say early grief. I don't know. What's that? The first three days. Early grief is at the first month. Early grief for me, I believe is your first two years of grief. And that's not even an exact number. We're all a little different, but many people, it brings a shift to realize, oh, something's not wrong with me. I'm not doing it wrong that I'm still feeling such intense pain. I'm actually still in early grief in those first two years. Then we move into what I call mature grief. And that is where we can work on eventually finding more love than pain. So but think about how if you didn't know this layout, you might think that we're doing it wrong and you're not. One of the fears we have around grief is it's going to be too much. It's going to be overpowering. People will tell me all the time, I can't cry. If I start crying, I'm going to cry forever. Or I just can't stop crying now. I want to tell you, I have been with thousands and thousands of people who are crying. Everyone has eventually stopped crying. It is not true that you will never stop crying. Or people are afraid if they feel their anger that they're going to let, you know, it's never going to stop. So just know there will be a shift or a change in your feelings. You feel one, another one will come. The only way out of the pain is through the pain. In the last book I wrote, Finding Meaning, it was interesting. I was researching, and I never thought I'd be saying this, researching buffaloes, right? Buffaloes in a grief book, who would have thought it? But it turns out when buffaloes sense a storm coming, they actually run into the storm. And by running into the storm, they minimize the pain. They minimize their discomfort. They minimize how long they're in the hard part. What do we do with grief? We run from grief. We keep it like 10 feet behind us or a mile behind us. And it becomes this steady companion that just makes our life miserable. So the idea that you're doing this series will help you immensely to really be present for it. The reality is we cannot heal what we don't feel. So we have to feel it. We have this inclination in our society that we should fight it. We should want it to be over, but we have to feel it. Even when people around us are saying, you've got to move on. 
it's time to move on. Shouldn't you be over it by now? Maybe you sometimes tell yourself, I should be further along. I should move on. But you have to stay present for the feelings. I know they're intense. I know they're hard. But we have to stay present because what we resist persists. So just look at, do other people have those expectations? You should be over it. Do you ever have those expectations? As I've already mentioned, the reality is you're not broken. You don't need fixing. And when we hear those comments like, isn't it time you moved on? Or you've got to get over them. It can easily feel like people think you're broken and need fixing. So don't take that on. What we do need is we need our grief to be witnessed. We need to be seen. We need other people to see this pain we're in, that this loss mattered. You know, we talk a lot about, um, in science, there's this concept of we have mirroring neurons. And mirroring neurons, uh, we talk about often in babies, that babies have these mirroring neurons. You can see videos on the internet, on YouTube, about the, the baby sitting with their mom, and the mom smiles, and the baby smiles back, and the mom looks, and the baby looks, and the mom looks serious, and the baby gets worried. The baby mirrors its mother. We forget that we don't grow out of those mirroring neurons. We still have them. I, I know it happened to me recently that I thought about it, I was just walking down the street, and as I'm walking down the street, uh, a guy I passed went, howdy. And I went, howdy. I don't say howdy. I'm not a howdier, but he howdied me. I howdied him back. My mirroring neurons kicked in. We want to be witnessed. We want to be seen. We want to be mirrored by one another. And grief must be witnessed. You weren't meant to be an island of grief. We need others. I was touring in Australia. And when I was touring, I was doing a, a lecture in Northern Australia. And a researcher came up to me and shared how she does research on the little villages and the rural areas of Australia. And she shared how she went to this one village. And in the village, they said, the night someone dies, the day of the person's death, Everyone in the small village moves a piece of furniture or something around them, but everyone has to move something the night of the death. And the researcher said, why does everyone do that? And she said, because the next day with the family wakes up, we want them to look around and see now that their loved one has died, everything has changed. Everything has changed now that their loved one has died. How different is that in our Western world? You wake up the day after your loved one dies and everyone's going about their business. You wake up 
the day after the breakup and it's life as usual for everyone else. You wake up the day after the divorce, the day after the betrayal, the pet loss, whatever you may have loved and lost. Everyone's like, just another day. And your world has been deeply, deeply shattered and thrown off balance. So it's to witness and to be present for yourself. When we talk about grief, I think about grief as a river. The river of grief will take you where you need to go. Some of us tiptoe slowly into the river of grief as our loved ones getting sicker and sicker, or we see the marriage getting worse and worse, or whatever it may be, we slowly tiptoe into the rivers of grief. Others of us are just having a random good Tuesday and we get a phone call out of the blue. Someone we loved has died or leaving us or whatever, and we are thrown into the river and we are drowning. But the river of grief will take you to your healing. The river of grief will help you figure out who you are now without your loved one. And if your loved one died, it'll help you figure out how to love them in their absence. You knew how to love them when they were present. The river of grief will teach you how to love them in their absence. Picture this river. You may see a little stick in the river. What happens if a stick falls in the river? The river hits it, the stream hits it, and just pushes the stick down the river. A little stick might be something like, um, just a little stick, a little complication, might be something like, I didn't tell them I love them the day they died. And you feel bad about that for a bit, and then everyone reminds you how much your loved one knew you love them, and the stick goes down and just moves down the river, and the river's flowing again, right? However, maybe a huge branch falls in the river. What happens when a huge branch falls in the river? When a huge branch falls in the river, the water hits it, and it begins to swirl around in a circular motion, right? It's no longer flowing down the river. That's like our grief. It's going in a circle. We feel stuck. It's not going anywhere. Fishermen call this an eddy. It's just where the water goes in a circle and isn't flowing anymore. So that's big branch is what we call a complication of grief. You may have heard, oh, someone's got complicated grief. Complicated grief means a bigger branch fell in the river. What do we need to do? We need to examine the branch, witness it, talk about it, to heal it. A big branch that falls in the river of grief that complicates it is a death by suicide, an overdose, a sudden death, an unexpected death, a, um, the loss of a child. And what complicates my grief might not complicate your grief. So that's also unique. So we look at this complication to get the river flowing again. 
Where will the river take us? It will take us to our healing. So just think about that, this idea that there's nothing going wrong, but what does society tell you? Jump out of the river. You only got three days in the river. What are you doing in the river a year later? You should be out of the river in a year. Keep in mind, it means they don't understand it. So I hope some of these concepts will help you as you think about your grief, because what has happened to you matters. I want you to know, I take your grief seriously. I see your loss, your devastation that you're feeling, and your loss deeply mattered. And the person or what you've been through matters. And we are here for you. And together, we're going to find a way to get through this, to find a life that you can live with peace that honors you. And if it's been a loved one who's died, that honors them. For your homework, I'd love for you to think about this concept. If your grief could speak to you, what would it say? If your grief could speak, what would it say? What does it want you to know? And I'm purposely not giving you any examples because I don't want you to even have an idea of what I think your grief should say. Really think about what does my grief want me to know? What do I need to hear? What do I need to see in my grief? Thanks. Thank you for listening to this excerpt from David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. If you want to watch all 10 days of this course, plus access downloadable worksheets and yoga flows for processing grief, go to onecommune.com help and sign up for a free trial of commune membership. That's onecommune.com help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full-length version of Help for the Hurting Heart. Feel free to email me with any suggestions and criticism, preferably of the constructive variety, at jeffk at onecommune.com. Okay, that's all from the Commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.